But when we're talking about sensitivity as a personality trait, what we're talking about is really someone who responds more to the world around them. I like to say that your mind goes deep where others only skim the surface. Welcome to the Creative Condition Podcast, the show where I, Ben Talon, illustrator and writer, invite people from the creative industry and far beyond to share their story of creativity, both the nature and the nurture, the chaos and the calm. Creativity is a fundamental pillar of human happiness, something I'm increasingly fascinated by and so often misunderstood. So little by little, I hope to build an archive of fascinating stories, experiences and tips to help you maximise yours. The show is supported by Illustration X. Go and take a look at their incredible global range of illustration and animation portfolios now at illustrationx.com. If you like the music for the show, go and listen to Dirty Freud over on Spotify and all good music platforms now. Today's the 200th episode of The Creative Condition and to celebrate the milestone I am joined by sensitivity expert and author Jen Graneman to talk about sensitivity and creativity, something that is so important for each of us who use creativity in our daily lives and that is pretty much every human. Hello and welcome to the show, I hope you're doing well, I hope you're good today. It's a pleasure to have you for this big episode, this 200th milestone, I'm very proud to have made it here. And every step of the way I've been supported by Illustration X, the founding sponsor of the show and the very people who suggested that I might be well positioned to do this in the first place. And that's a weird thought because I'm still in no way qualified to broadcast, to host, but I've just kind of learned on the job and there's so much to say for that when it comes to creativity because how else can we learn to do this stuff if not through dogged practice and trial and error and failing and going again and all those lovely cliches that are so very true. Uh, I hope you're well, I hope I find you knocked down any kind of sensitivity rabbit hole because let's face it there's a reason that you're probably listening to this show and it's probably because you are a highly sensitive person. Um, it's incredibly common in the creative industries because creativity and sensitivity as per the title of this episode have a famed relationship going back um i certainly do i'm not going to bang on too much in this introduction if you haven't if you're a long-term listener you'll notice that i've cut down on those because i used to just get on a bit of a ramble and go on too long (laughs) when it's about the guests i do do those shows i am going to follow this up with a more long form chat i've got a few big announcements to make which are not for this podcast but one of them is that i'm about to launch a kickstarter campaign for the creative condition book we'll get into that on that follow-up episode i'm going to do this as a two-part thing i'm going to do a bit of a kind of you know where are we where are we heading type episode and a discussion about what creativity has come to mean for me as i hit this 200th episode and where i want to take the show moving forward But that's for a separate one, because today is about Jen Graneman. So Jen Graneman is an internationally recognised authority on highly sensitive people and introverts. She co-founded Highly Sensitive Refuge, a community and publication for highly sensitive people, reaching 1.3 million people every month. Jen is the author of The Secret Lives of Introverts. She also created Introvert Dear, the largest introvert website in the world. Jen is a contributor to Psychology Today, Forbes and the Huffington Post. And she lives in St. Paul, Minnesota. Um, And she writes with Andre Solo for this wonderful book that I've been talking about recently, which is Sensitive, The Power of a Thoughtful Mind in an Overwhelming World. And we know what that feels like, surely. I know that I do. Um, I'm from Yorkshire. I'm from West Yorkshire, Keithley, now a post-industrial ex-mill town where people kind of you know they got on with it and they told you to toughen up and we're going to get talking about the toughness myth today in today's episode and I think once you own that sensitivity and you become I know everyone says it these days but when you become vulnerable outwardly vulnerable and that can take on any way shape or form you know I think some people kind of bulk at this idea of oh wokeness and you know but I think it's great that as we plough deeper into this 21st century people can talk about mental health and about 
vulnerability and about sensitivity and it doesn't mean what it used to mean which was something that people perceived as weak or soft or get on with it and you know it's not about that I think vulnerability is as much about resilience and toughness as anything else and I certainly believe so I feel stronger mentally and more empowered in my life for owning my sensitivity than I ever did when it was something that I tried to hide and, and thankfully for me coming from a family like I do with a mother who's incredibly sensitive that hasn't been much of an issue for me I've been surrounded particularly since the age of about 14 by friends who were very open and very sensitive and very willing to laugh at in the best possible way our softness but also to put an arm around the shoulder so I haven't really had to mask in my life which is um, a massive boost and benefit and I attribute that to my ability to be creative and to be very authentic in what I create and I think it's why I wanted to cover that as a topic for this episode so for you guys who listened to the episode 199 with the brilliant Stefan Sagmeister um, I could have easily made the decision to make Stefan my 200th episode but I wanted to, to give that to Jen because I think that this topic of sensitivity is so pertinent and so now and it felt like more of a here's where we are, here's where things are moving with this show which is more about human creativity as opposed to design or illustration or any one discipline in the arts and that's something that's very pertinent in my, my forthcoming book The Creative Condition which has been written over two years and studied over ten uh, more information on that on the, on the follow up episode to this which is going to be a state of the address but that's the thing, I'm very passionate about that about people being open about their mental health and about the way they feel, I think it's so enriches lives when you can do that and I certainly feel like that myself, you know, I might come across as someone who's maybe masculine in Yorkshire but anyone that knows me will know that I'm anything but the stereotype of those things and I love that and it makes me happy it makes me fulfilled in my life and I'm able to pass that on to my kids and not shout at them when they have meltdowns and, and try to understand and Jen by having this conversation has really helped me to understand with far greater depth what it means to be a highly sensitive person and without doubt my kids are highly sensitive people they were always going to be because my wife and I are very much that so I hope you take something from this show and I cannot recommend the book anymore. It's been profound reading for me and, and helped me to flesh out why I am the way that I am, why I feel soft when I feel soft and why I feel hurt by things in my environment or I feel great joy in them when others might not. Um, that's something that she gets onto in that we have balance in society. I think about 30% of people are highly sensitive and then you've got a bracket in the middle of about 40%. And then 30% that are not sensitive and society wouldn't work without that split. So there's nothing right or wrong with any of it. It just is how we are born to each of those categories. Um, I'm interested to hear where you land. So let me know. Hello at bentallen.com on the email. Or just hit me up on LinkedIn these days. is my primary social contact. Or Instagram if not. I'm on there pretty much a lot of the time as well. So a big thank you to every, any single guest who's joined this show, anyone who's ever shared an episode, anyone who's subscribed to the show or let me know how they feel about the show and anyone who's listened or just championed creativity, thank you very much because it wouldn't be possible without any of you. Big thank you to Illustration X for backing me up the whole way over the last seven years uh, and this show is not going anywhere anytime soon which excites me greatly so we'll get into that on the next episode but for now enjoy this chat with the lovely and wonderful Jen Graneman. Well, I certainly would not have called myself a, a sensitive person when I was younger. It took until um, my late 20s when I came across Dr. Elaine Aaron's research for me to understand the, the term highly sensitive person. But certainly even when I was a kid, I knew that there was something different about me. I can remember coming home from school and just after a normal day at school, I would need to go into my bedroom and withdraw and turn down the lights and just do something calming like reading or listening to music. And it wasn't that anything had happened at school. It was just that I was drained. I was tired from being around all those people and having just, you know, the, the buzz and activity and sounds and sights and smells of a classroom. I was drained. And I'm also an introvert. So that fed into that need to withdraw as well. But I think a lot of highly sensitive people feel tired just after a quote unquote normal day in the office or the classroom. Mm. Yeah. And, and I guess that 
what's really interesting uh, to me, if having read the book, is about the kind of the the percentage split, which actually was, was totally fascinating that there was the scientists were able to put a number, you know, on the kind of was it forty seven percent people that are born. So the, the genetic sensitivity uh, and then the kind of the modifying almost those early formative years being great modifiers um in terms of environment so i guess while that's those early years are important this is a this isn't you know this is not an on-off thing is it let's face it this is a this is an innate quality yeah absolutely it's uh it's about 30 percent of people that are born highly sensitive but you're right it's not something that will go away. Um, and I don't think it's something we should want to go away because personally, I think sensitivity can be a great thing. It, it can be a superpower. Well, this, well, this is the thing, isn't it? And, and I, and I, I agree with that completely because when I'm, I'm 40 now, I recently turned 40 and oh, uh, I just turned 42. Okay. Welcome, welcome to the club. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I don't know who should welcome who, but yeah, we're both there. <laughs> But you're absolutely right, and and this is you know this, this is not about me, but it's that's those things that you mentioned there, those the, the you know being in school and that having to kind of just take that step away from things and then absorbing all that those extremities. I didn't experience that aspect of it myself, but on the emotional side, so sensitivity to very much in terms of a social aspect. So I, I struggled with any if I ever felt like I could upset anyone or had you know fallen out with a person to this day i find that incredibly hard i find it i have to really put up barriers to to not be overwhelmed by that and to let it really bog me down i i've recently sort of had some real struggles with the climate crisis and 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 that became a real a real problem you know it would get to the point when i would see certain animals and i was locked into such a negative thought pattern in that regard that it would hurt me and I wouldn't truly know why. And that would give way to all these other kind of negative feelings. You mean you felt almost too much empathy for yes. what was going on around you? Very much so, overwhelmed by it and, 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 and not managing my brain and very accidentally stumbled upon Stutz. I don't know if you've seen the documentary um, about Phil Stutz, who was Johnny mm-hmm. Hill's, he's Johnny Hill's psychotherapist, and um, he wanted to share what he thought were incredible methods of managing the mind. With you know, knowing that this was an LA psychotherapist, and, and mm-hmm. it was you had to be earning very, very well to afford him. But he wanted to share these methods with all the people. And a long story short, this this came at a really pivotal time in my own life where um, I learned what was happening in my brain and why I was responding this way and why this this was a cycle and it wasn't necessarily that these things were as bad as I felt they were. Mm. I was allowing the thought to run away with myself. Um, so in terms of a question with sensitivity, it, it's I guess it's essential to understand to a degree what's going on and to learn techniques. Yeah. Would you agree to, to? Absolutely. I think what you're describing is a pretty common experience for sensitive people in that they have so much empathy. In fact, research shows that areas of the brain related to empathy just light up with more activity for sensitive people than they do for other people, whether it's a loved one or a stranger. Sensitive people just have more empathy. And that's amazing because I think our world could use more empathy. But if you're a sensitive person, like you said, it gets really overwhelming sometimes because there are always problems and crises and people in need of help. And it can be really painful when you feel those negative emotions in yourself. So I like to talk to sensitive people about moving from empathy to compassion. I don't know if you're familiar with that concept. Yes, yeah. from from your book. Yeah, I just uh, yeah. there are a lot of fine lines. So you mentioned earlier introvert and sensitivity. Very mm-hmm. much things that people will often lump in the same bag when really they're not. Right. And, uh, does that also apply here? Yeah, it it definitely applies here. Um, And I'll just say introverts and sensitive people, they can be similar in some ways. That's often why they get lumped together. And the majority of sensitive people are also introverts. But there are some differences. We could talk about that later if you'd like. But yeah, you're right. Empathy and compassion are similar in that they they seem similar, but there's a big difference. And the difference with compassion is when we're in a mindset of compassion, we're not necessarily 
feeling the feelings of the suffering person in our own bodies and in our own minds. And that can be a huge game changer for sensitive people to realize that they can shift into compassion and still care about other people and solve problems and show up in the world in an important way, but they can do it without having to take on that burden of the stress and and that pain of empathy. And it's not always as easy as you might think, or, or maybe, it, maybe it doesn't sound easy at all. Um, you know, for me, I still don't always get it right, but um, people ask me a lot, well, how do you shift into compassion? And really, there's no magic trick, really. It's just changing your mindset. And it's thinking about how you yourself don't have to feel those negative feelings in order to reach out and help someone or to, you know, even take a step to help climate change. Um, so I like to talk to people about how they can put the focus on the other person, the person who's suffering, because a lot of times when we feel those negative emotions in ourselves from empathy, we're putting the focus on ourselves, which sounds kind of strange, right? Because empathy is like, no, I'm supposed to be, you know, thinking about the other person. But when we get bogged down with those negative feelings, we're actually putting the focus on ourselves and taking it away from the person who is suffering. Mm. Yeah, it's a really, it's a really interesting difference, actually, that I never, you know, I'd never considered that actually before, before reading it in your book. Yeah, I like to say you can, you can help and show up for other people without feeling all their stress and pain directly in your body yourself. Yeah. And what one part of this kind of whole healing process that I found was also it's very it's kind of basic technique, but it's the whole stepping just slightly aside of yourself and being mm -hmm. more and observing, you know, the way that you're responding to a certain event and those thoughts that that if left unchecked can just become a wall of white noise. I think you have to sort of feel that pain of the world to be able to be a writer or an artist or creative person. I mean, isn't that what art on some level is about? I think so. I think, yeah, I think to tell a compelling story and to truly mm -hmm. engage with people, you have to channel all of that. Yeah, absolutely. I loved the the debate in the book about the three Google, the top three Google searches. I think it was late 2024, mm -hmm. you know, about it very negative in relation to sensitivity and the and the perception of it when as you say it's very much a superpower when 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 managed when we when we manage the the pitfalls i guess so would you mind giving us just a basic kind of definition of how how we're coming at sensitivity sure so like you said a lot of people think that sensitivity is a bad thing if you're uh, those google searches that you're referring to people are searching for things like how do i stop being so sensitive and honestly, that's what a lot of people ask me when I told people I'm writing a book about sensitivity. They said, oh, good. <laughs> you're going to you're going to teach people how to toughen up and not be so sensitive because the world is just too oversensitive these days. <laughs> so there are a lot of misconceptions about what sensitivity is in terms of a personality trait. And when we're talking about sensitive people, we're not necessarily talking about someone, <clears throat> excuse me, who gets offended too easily or cries at the drop of the hats. Although if you're a sensitive person, sure, you you might cry. That's that's part of your your emotional world. But when we're talking about sensitivity as a personality trait, what we're talking about is really someone who responds more to the world around them. I like to say that your mind goes deep where others only skim the surface. Your mind and your body are simply responding more to your world and your experiences. So you might respond more to heartbreak and pain and loss, but you also respond more to joy and new ideas and beauty and friendship and happiness and all those good things in the world. So sensitivity just means you are reacting and responding more to what's going on around you. And that can be challenging because, you know, like we were just talking about, the world can be a, a difficult and cruel place. Um, but it can also be beautiful because a, a lot of artists are sensitive people uh, because they have that stronger reaction to the world and their experiences. Mm. And, and on a genetic level, so what what will we close? Is it plasticity gene or the short search gene, which which is the yeah yeah so yeah oh I'm I'm so glad you know that no one's actually asked me this question yet so so way to go you you really dived into my book but um, <laughs> yeah yeah we're um we're talking about plasticity genes here it it allows a person to be more open to their world and more shaped by their world 
Mm. And that, you know, the, the the very fact that this is genetic, it does it not over immediately override the whole toughen up, you know, the, the, toughness, <laughs> the toughness myth, right? Yeah. That's, that's, that's yeah. the best way I've heard it put, and it's um, it completely kind of lays waste to that. What you know, is that going too far? <laughs> you know, um, yeah. Again, I haven't been asked that before, so I'm impressed. But yeah, I I think you're right. Um, so the toughness toughness myth is the idea that we should toughen up and we should hide our sensitivity. And, um, you know, it's sort of the modern idea of doggy dog and just buck up and push through and you'll be fine. Mm. And I think a lot of us grew up with that sort of parenting. And I think a lot of us still experience that in the workplace and even in schools and our relationships with others sometimes, but Mm. you're right. So, so people are born, sensitive. Uh, There's probably a pattern of genes that you're born with that make you sensitive, but your experiences can also shape your sensitivity as well and make you a little more or less sensitive. Yeah. And what I found really interesting was the kind of, so if I'm, stop me if I'm wrong in in my, my my paraphrasing can be terrible, but um, I like this this idea that going, I guess going to the survival aspect in some regards so so people who've mm-hmm. grown up with trauma or are a challenging home environment and then people who had a, maybe a really happy environment being the two kind of extremes that were more sensitive is that right and then it was the people who didn't necessarily need to be sensitive that had a kind of maybe like a just a peaceful i don't know is, is that somewhere close to the mark that yeah yeah that's very much it so there's some emerging research that says that your environment will shape your level of sensitivity and it's those extreme environments that tend to make people more or less sensitive so if you grew up in you know uh in an abusive home or a home where your parents were negligent or just you know maybe you grew up under extreme circumstances like war or a crisis or something like that you might become a little more sensitive because sensitivity benefits you because it allows you to notice little things in your environment and read other people well. And that can be really useful if you have a a caregiver who is hurtful or abusive uh, because, you know, you're tuning into them and trying to read their cues or you're just alert in your environment for any signs of danger. Now, the flip side of that is that if you grew up in a very supportive home or under very enriching circumstances, you might become more sensitive because your, you know, your body realized, well, I can soak up every last drop of benefit from my environment. So, you know, you, you're more tuned in and aware and alert so that you can get the full benefit of what's going on around you. Mm. I find it very interesting. And and, and it's funny because I've got a mum who's a who's an emotional sponge. Mm-hmm. She's come. I mean, she, yes, she cries very easily. She's the warmest, kindest person. Um, and and it's funny. My dad is a very kind guy too, but he's also a kind of he's. I like. I I credit him with balancing that side from my mum mm-hmm. because he's, he's an old school Yorkshireman. And now I forget where in America you grew up, Jen. But is was it kind of? I think there are similarities between. So Yorkshire, to give you a snapshot, is very. It's very much the kind of. To, you know toughen up there's there, there's mm-hmm. a lot, lot mm-hmm. of that but it's also it's very it's done in a very kind way too that you know there's a lot of the people who will say that will also have an arm around your shoulder so mm-hmm. i can mm-hmm. open that environment so what was wonderful there was i had that just to sort of pull me away from being just i don't know from you because i i am so sensitive and i think that I do thank I do thank my dad for sort of giving me a little balance with my mum and I mm-hmm. and in the middle. But all the while it was completely supportive of me being drawn to the arts. And it was very much, you know, you're gonna do this for a long time, this job, whatever you choose to do. So choose wisely, lead with the heart, all this stuff which was magic to me. So it enabled me to kind of take my time to soak it all in and fall in love with all that stuff. That's awesome. Uh, so remind me where you're from in America. Uh, So I'm in St. Paul, Minnesota, which is in the Midwest. Uh, So like, you know, just the middle of the country. And yeah, it's, it sounds like a similar vibe and culture here. It's definitely like a, you know, you you just kind of keep to yourself and you keep your feelings to yourself. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You're polite about it. (laughs) But, uh, but yeah, nobody's, uh, nobody's really talking about their feelings here. So how was yours when you said like about coming home from school and things like how was that received in the, your family environment? You know, I was fairly lucky to grow up with supportive parents. Um, I think 
you know, if there was one thing, it was that we just didn't talk about emotions. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, that that might be that Midwestern culture that I'm from, uh, or 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 whatever. But yeah, it it just took me a long time growing up to realize that I could have emotions and I could express those emotions in healthy ways. Yeah, and and isn't it magic the 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 leaps and bounds that's come along in terms of the conversation around yeah mental health and sensitivity and well-being at large in these last let's say 20 years i think it's been an incredible acceleration yeah absolutely i'm i don't think we're there yet but i'm really happy to see what's happening in our culture in terms of mental health mm. um one of the stories uh, that i loved in the book was about the nurse contradicting mm. doctors um so intuition mm-hmm. and that was do you know, I have so many ways of looking at this. So whether it's gut instinct or just perception, you know, whatever right. you want to put on that, there's certainly something about reading the environment and about reading whether it's body language or just the, the you know, the, the situation, situational awareness. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, let's talk about that a little bit. I think the HSP gifts, you termed it in the book, which was mm-hmm. great. Um do you think surely i mean how many people do you think become aware of that because this is it's i think it's probably something a lot of us do blind and whether we pay much attention and trust that right it's probably the differential you know the differential there yeah Um, yeah so that story that you're referring to about the nurse um yeah it was an incredible story so this nurse notices that something with her patient is off. The patient is recovering from surgery. The doctors think she's fine. Uh, but the nurse just keeps noticing that there's something a little off about the patient. And um, eventually she gets a technician to come in and run a test. And they find that the woman had a, um, I believe it was large blood clot and her heart was just mere moments away from stopping. And this nurse saved her patient's life because she was tuned in to what was going on with her patient. And yeah, call it intuition, call it situational awareness, call it whatever you want. I, th- I think it's both of those things, but sensitive people are just more tuned in to what's going on around them. And they read other people really well. And their brains are really good at predicting and putting patterns together. So, you know, not only is your your mind taking in more information, but it's also doing more with it. So, you know, here was this nurse who just noticed these little things being off about her patient and then put that all together. And wow, she's, she saved someone's life. Mm, I mean, that's major. And, and the, you know, the courage to speak up. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Some- Cause she, um, the doctors were like the, I think the managing doctor you would call it was, or, or the surgeon, um, the, the doctor in charge, was not there at the hospital at that time. So she kind of had to go above the surgeon's head to order this test. And, you know, that can put her career in a really precarious position, but she just, she felt strongly that something was wrong and she spoke up. Mm, I think that's incredible. And I, and I, you know, it's, it's funny how you talk about the, the kind of the drawing parallels of, and, and, and joining the dots across a broad sphere mm-hmm. of things, which is just, amazing um so in my industry you know that it's funny but I, I loved the bit about the sort of most the more survival aspects of this so how whether it was hunter gatherers and people mm-hmm. uh, you know highly sensitive people would have been incredibly valuable in those situations in times when when we didn't have you know some of the luxuries that we have now with our lifestyle right. it's no coincidence the th- you know what you talk about to do with creativity in the book and the sheer amount of sensitive people well, mm-hmm. I guess. would it be wrong to say that they're all creative? Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I, I agree with you that all humans are creative. Um, personally, I think sensitive people have an edge in creativity because, well, how could you not? If your mind is taking in more information and you're reflecting on that information more than other people would reflect on it, um, and then you feel strong emotions. You know, if you're a sensitive person, you just you feel those intense emotions. Um, you feel what it means to be human on a very visceral level. 
So, yeah, I mean, of course, you're going to have more, you're going to have that power of creativity. Um, you know, creativity is often born from being able to connect the dots between two ideas that aren't similar and to be able to make something new. Or even if it's not something totally new, it's a new way to say something or a new way to look at something. And I think sensitive people have that advantage because they're just, they're reflecting on things deeply and they're processing things deeply and they're feeling things deeply. So yeah, of course, creativity will be born from that. You know, and it, you might not write or or paint or draw or do design if you're a sensitive person. I'm not saying every sensitive person is necessarily an artist or a writer, but I think there's an aspect of creativity in all sensitive people. Very much so. And, I, and I'm coming up on the first draft of my book, The Creative Condition, the same name as this podcast at the moment. And one of the early, the first points I make in the book is the, the need to separate being artistic from creativity because it's, mm. it, it reminds me of what we talked oh, that's about. That's fascinating. Yeah. And it just, it reminds me, of, I think it puts up so many bar unnecessary barriers at very early formative times for people because hmm. they're, given, they're given the romantic vision of someone with a guitar or a, an artist at the, at the easel, which are beautiful things. And of course, right. at the sharp end of creativity, but actually what's been a joy, I've been talking to firefighters about responsive creativity, you know, in saving mm. lives. And, mm -hmm. and I had a uh, um, I had Professor Anna Abraham on the show, who's a neuroscientist who specializes in creativity and just an utterly fascinating person. So to kind of to see the myriad forms it takes on and the sheer possibilities of that. Yeah. yeah to go back to your point about creativity not being found just with a paintbrush and a guitar. Um, I have a friend who's a computer coder and he's a sensitive person and he talks about the creativity behind his own work because he's coming up with solutions in his coding that no one's ever come up with before. Right. And that's creativity right there. Um, yeah, but yeah, I, a quieter world. I, I think that is something that sensitive people and also introverts need to do their creativity. I think we're kind of unique in that we need, we need that outside time, right? Like time in the outside world so that we can live and experience things and get ideas. But then I think we really need that inside time too, that time to be in our own minds and to be in a quiet place because our minds need to be able to do that reflection. They they need to, our mind needs to be able to do that thing that it does so well, which is going deep. Um, and so, yeah, we need that, we need that quiet world to make creativity happen. Mm, very much so. And, it, and it's only kind of after the, what I said earlier about the kind of dip to do with the climate and, and other reasons. But um, off the back of that, I've started to design my day more now with, mm. more, with a lot more attention placed on mental energy being finite on any given day. Yes, absolutely. And it's, and it's made such a difference. And parents of young children. Oh, my word. Don't, yeah, <laughs> I you. would love to know how you design your day with a, with a young child because <laughs> that's my reality. Yeah, well, this this is the thing, and that's I mean that's a big part of the reason actually is is fatigue. I, you know, I've been so mm -hmm. exhausted, yes. as I'm sure you know well, for the first three years that I've been more vulnerable than I have. And I and actually I've I've been very fortunate with my mental health because creativity has always provided me with just such great cathar catharsis and belonging, and mm -hmm. and to tell stories about the things I'm experiencing. So I've managed to kind of balance anything out. And actually, the idea that this is a potentially neurodiversity mm -hmm. something that almost had me you know i was reading you know while i was reading the book i was wanting to just tell anyone within earshot about this because oh, that's please do that's a topic that i've been digging into through serendipity i've met autistic friends recently and people with adhd and all these things mm -hmm. but i never considered sensitivity as a potentially a form of neurodiversity but it makes absolute sense when you think yeah about it. yeah absolutely um i, I mean the sensitive mind it works differently, you know, not wildly differently from less sensitive people's minds, but it, it does work differently because we're just taking in so much information and um, turning it over in our minds. I think a lot of people, a lot of sensitive people don't even realize that they are doing all that reflecting and analyzing because it happens on such a subconscious level. I mean, it, it took me 
decades to realize that other people just weren't doing that same level of thinking that I was. And I'm, I'm not trying to like brag or make myself sound, you know, um, better or more important, but yeah, my mind just sticks with problems for longer and that can cause some pain sometimes, right? You can, you can overthink something and that can be painful, but you know, I don't think I would have become a writer if my mind didn't stick with problems for longer mm-hmm. because just- I have this need to know why, you know, so I, I have to know why. So my mind just keeps going until it has an answer. Yeah. And it's about, and it has to be about assimilation, doesn't it? Because if you can't, like we said, there's no off switch. Mm-hmm. I mean, so, I wish there were some days, right? Oh, <laughs> Wouldn't that be nice? Oh my word. Yes, very much so. The amount of times I've sort of said, I, I wish I had a simpler mind so that I, mm-hmm. you know, I could just worry about, you know, how my hair looks on a given day or, you know, right. that could be the sum <laughs> of my worries. It's like, <laughs> it's I'm worried worry. about how my hair looks, but also like the fate of humanity on any given day, right? Like, <laughs> both of those things at the same time. <laughs> You're absolutely right. Yeah. And, you know, so, you know, you, you obviously do a lot of fantastic work around this. You have the introvert platform too. And mm, thank you. Um, do you, you know, would it be safe to say that you, one of your, your hopes would be that we can start to find ways of integrating this into, let's say, education and earlier life? Because as yeah. we've, as we've discussed with you and I are both 40 and the sad fact is we have to live a lot of life to get to a point where we're, self-aware and compassionate -hmm. compassionate enough with ourselves so that we will actually start to take some meaningful action in managing the pitfalls of sensitivity wouldn't it be wonderful if we can start to you know build forums in those teenage years and and actually create a world where there's a lot of support for that I, i have to think that's one of your big hopes yes absolutely i was a teacher for many years and i can tell you that uh, you know at least in the schools that i taught at here in the us these kinds of things are not being taught to children they're not being taught about sensitivity or introversion and extroversion or neurodiversity or mental health or anything like that i mean only in very small ways and in very small pockets you know if, if an individual teacher chose to teach about those things but yeah, I I just think that this is the kind of information that could really help people. It could really open eyes and and help people learn how to thrive in their life if if they know more about themselves and not just about themselves, but other people too. Because maybe you're not a sensitive person, but maybe your friend is, or maybe someone you're in a relationship is, or maybe your kid is. So yeah, I just, I think this information is so important and I wish that it could be taught in schools. Mm. Yeah, because it's a, it's a challenging world out there. And like we said about the information overload and everything that young people are exposed to now through social mm. media. Yeah, t- it's hard t- to be a young person. It's so hard, but uh, it can be so overwhelming, you know, and, and teenagers are just dealing with so many more things on social media than, you know, you or I ever had to. Mm. Yeah. Um, so the five gifts of sensitivity, would you mind giving us a little overview of that? Oh, sure. Let's see. Let's see if I can rattle them all off in my head. Um, well, we talked about creativity already. Um, there's also empathy. Uh, we hit on that one a little bit already. Um, and, and empathy, you know, just to say is a beautiful, wonderful thing. And I fully believe the world needs more empathy. It can just be hard if you have empathy as a sensitive person. So you need to learn how to move into compassion. Um, there's also sensory intelligence or what we make calls situational awareness. And that is that um, idea that you are more tuned into your environment. So maybe you're just noticing little details in your environment. And this can be really huge for athletes or it could be huge for for people even in the military, right? Because you might need that situational awareness to keep yourself and your unit alive. Um, yeah, so those are huge. Um, there's also depth of processing. Uh, so you are just taking in more information. Your mind is reflecting on it more. You're sticking with problems for longer. Sometimes this can lead to overthinking, which can be painful, but it can also feed into your creativity because you're coming up with new ideas. And there's also your 
emotional depth um, or your strong emotions, right, are rich in a world. And having those intense emotions can feel painful sometimes. That's probably the biggest thing that sensitive people talk to me about is how do I deal with my big emotions? Because it's it's true. I mean, it's it's hard to be a soft-hearted person who feels a lot in this world that can often be cruel. But our intensity of emotions is, again, what feeds that creativity. And it can also make us really good partners and friends and parents. And it can also make us great leaders too, because you know it helps us connect with people and it helps us build rapport and it helps us create positive environments for the people who we're working with. So yeah, those those gifts are amazing. It can be challenging sometimes to possess them, but I believe that we can learn as sensitive people how to navigate those challenges and to really harness those gifts. Mm. A major crutch for me has always been humor. You know, mm, me, uh, me too. <laughs> me too. I, I have this way of, and I've always had this kind of coping technique of, um, in in any kind of minor mis minor to average misfortune. So you know, I have this sort of, I wouldn't even say it's a technique; it's a habit almost of projecting to the third me person, too, me too. finding the hilarity in my situation. You know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, and yep. um, and that has created so many friendships for me, and great relationships in my career because it's without even meaning to it's not something I go out to do but in meeting clients in my industry which invariably mm-hmm. is a lot of sensitive people as we just said in the creative industries you know very quickly they, they seem to transform into friendships and it comes down to that just kind of flippant humor that that, that, that is often around it's been a great way of, of just dealing with with um you know as you said the pain of being a sensitive person yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I, I recently learned that about myself too, that humor is <laughs> one of my coping mechanisms for better or for worse. Um, but you know, there's something interesting to that. And that is that the brain can't be stressed out and overwhelmed and also find something funny at the same time. So one thing I like to coach people, coach sensitive people to do is to look for humor and to look for play and look for lightheartedness. Because it does. It it takes the edge off the stress and it lowers your overstimulation level if you can find something funny or find something playful, right? So for me, a lot of times that looks like just taking time to play with my two-year-old son, right? And to laugh at the things he's laughing about and, you know, to be silly with him, um, to like make dinosaur noises or, or whatever it takes. Um, but yeah, I, I think that's I think that humor can be really powerful and go a long way to relieving some of the the stress that we sensitive people feel. I think so. And, you know, we talked, we talked about parenthood and I remember um, I was part of a, I don't know if it's got a different name in the States or whether you have variations, but we have a thing here called NCT, which is National Child Care Trust. And okay. they do the kind of group meetups in the build up to becoming a parent and then Oftentimes you'll stay in touch with mm-hmm. couples who are part of the group and, you know, and, and some sometimes not. But um, so we were part of a kind of a WhatsApp group and my, you know, this collision of dark sense of humor slash artistic <laughs> nature meant that I'd started taking these kind of 4 a.m. black and white horrendous portraits of myself with a high contrast flash because oh, I just so found interesting. it funny. I love that. Thing. To, you know, to see this just, just, you know, three eye bags on a bad night. And it's like, I remember posting one in the group and immediately two of the people in there just found it the funniest thing ever. And we really bonded. <laughs> and one guy left immediately. And I thought, oh, God. <laughs> 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 so I can't push it too far. But but this was, I knew I needed to, you know, to retain a little bit of my, my sort of creative spirit, but also just to laugh my way through these incredibly trying yes. new yes. aspects of parenthood. <laughs> yes, absolutely. I love that so much. <laughs> I love that so much. I mean, I, I think that's why I started my blog, Introvert Deer. Um, you know, it, it, many years ago, I started the blog and, you know, I just, I felt like this little introvert and sensitive person in a very extroverted and insensitive world. I was I was teaching at the time, which is a very extroverted job. I was dating this very extroverted and, you know, not sensitive guy. And I was living with very extroverted roommates. So I just felt like, 
you know, I, I wanted to write about what it was like to be this introvert living in this extrovert's world. Um, and it, yeah, I, I never really intended it to become what it became, but I just, it was my way of coping with my own life and the own problems I was, my own problems I was experiencing was to write about them. And sometimes I wrote about them with humor and sometimes I wrote about them with probably a little too much rawness and honesty, but it was what got me through. Mm. Do you know, yes, there's a lot of parallels here that are coming up, actually. But yeah, if you're in a particularly sort of long, quiet spell, only only, only several years into my career, and now with what I know after 15 years now, I, I, that, I really shouldn't have thought that that was an anomaly. But mm. I did at the time, and I was like, oh, you know, what's going on? Two good years, and I'm quiet again, and what, where have all the clients gone? So I started kind of, you know, ranting on a blog about this, the, the reality of freelancing and why Instagram mm. is not always the truth and all this stuff. And that ended up becoming my first book, which is called Champagne and Wax Crayons. And it's a kind of brutally honest first-person account of turning creativity into a career. But mm. what happened was through the writing of that blog, it, it just, as we sort of touched upon, it it brought so many friendships and relationships about and that that willingness mm. to sort of put myself on the line and, and say, look, yeah, it has been another day sat in my bedroom at my desk fretting mm. you know, who's paying the next yeah. bill. But actually that vulnerability... And learning to to use that and do that honestly and in a in a in a, in a front facing way, it's been quite life changing actually. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, and I I think vulnerability is what sensitive people can do really well. You know, I I think a lot of us tend to be in touch with our feelings and want to connect with others about our our real honest thoughts and experiences, but I think it's hard because a lot of times sensitive people have been told not to be vulnerable, right? We put our feelings out there and they've been squashed or we've become hurt. So yeah, it, it's hard to be brave in that way. But uh, I, I think that vulnerability is one of our superpowers. Very much so. Um, in terms of your own authorship then, so you said about the, 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 the is it introvert deer, deer introvert, I forget. <laughs> Introvert deer. Yeah, no, it's like backwards from what you would think. No, no, I like it. I think it's got such a better ring to it that way. But um, so so did you, you know, in terms of writing this book, Sensitivity, um, or even being an author, was, was was that your plan? Or was it something that happened organically? And, and and if so, what role did your sensitivity play in in feeling that this was possible? And this was something that you could carry forward in terms of writing I had always wanted to be an author. When I was a little girl, I wrote stories on construction paper and I made my mom write them down for me because I didn't even know how to write. Like that's that's how long I've been writing. Um, I wanted to write fiction. I wanted to write mysteries and thrillers or even kids books because I was a teacher for a while. Um, but I started this blog just writing about my own experiences and it was never supposed to be anything. <laughs> you know, I, I actually started the blog after I got done taking another writing class. And I thought, I'll just do this to sort of keep up my writing until I have another, you know, until I have a good book idea. <laughs> you know, um, And so I, I just, I didn't intend it to be what it is, but it connected with people and it gave me an outlet and, yeah, I don't know. It it just it just kind of took off in an unexpected way. But I think being a sensitive person definitely helps me as a writer because it helps me, I think because of my empathy, it, it helps me think about what problems my readers might be experiencing or what questions they might have. I think it helps me put them in my reader's point of view. And you know, like I said earlier, my brain just turns things over and I have to know why and I have to get answers to things. So a lot of times my writing springs from me having some sort of experience or problem that I can't stop thinking about and that I have to get answers to <laughs> for my own self. And then I just become so interested in the topic. And then I think, you know, my sensitivity then takes it another step, step further and says, well, you know, if this information was helpful to me, I bet it's helpful to other people too. So there's that that sensitivity makes me want to connect, not just sit on the information I have, but connect to other people with it. 
Mm. And do you do you really trust this, you know your own feelings now, your situational awareness, your instinct in terms of your your kind of career and the flow of that? Yes and no, right? <laughs> right. I mean, I I do. I I have a lot more confidence in myself as a writer and a creative person than I did a decade ago. I do feel that you know, I, I have some solid ground to stand on and I can trust myself and I can trust my intuition. You know, it's not perfect though, right? You know, <laughs> um, it's, it's, I'm not a, not a feature. I'm not a psychic. Um, so yeah, I, I don't get it perfect all the time. No, no, of course. And I mean, it's funny because the only thing I've been formally trained to do is be an illustrator. You know, that's mm-hmm. my, that's my degree, but doing this thing self self-taught because somebody suggested it and that's what i did and i fell in love with it and, and, and i've done it for seven years since and that wasn't trained and that and nor was writing but like you say it's a balance isn't it because the gut feeling and the rush and the love of that creative spark is something that i just cherish and will always follow yeah. to find. but also i've got a good bit but you know the pragmatism is there enough to kind of go you know, it's like I write a lot of fiction as well, but at the moment that's evening. That's evenings because you know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. young twins. Something happens when you have kids. It's like there's just a, like the hours in the day. Just I think somebody just takes some of the hours in the day out. Yeah, but yeah. I, just, I, just, I just find that there's just such great joy in that creative rush and that feeling that something is right. Yeah. Of course, you have to hold the pragmatist lens over it as well. You know, financial and all the other modifiers that we have to deal with. But it's just a beautiful feeling, and especially when it starts to flourish. I mean, yes. you must have been ecstatic when sensitive. You know, when you I, we had. How did that feel when you found out it was going to become a thing? Yeah, no, I I was thrilled, and I I can certainly relate to that that rush because. Yeah, for me, it's it's like I get energy from the creative process. I mean, sometimes the creative process sucks, <laughs> right? Like, like sometimes it just sucks to have to sit down and stare at your computer and, and try to write something that can be really hard and draining. But yeah, when things start flowing, it just I have this energy. I I think of myself more as a maker of things than a writer because. I, I just, I like to make things. I like to write books. I also like to write Instagram posts or create graphics or, you know, put a program together or, so I just like to make things. And when I'm making things, I feel in that groove and I feel that energy. And it's when I have to deal with other things that it becomes draining. Like if I have to sit down and answer emails or, <laughs> you know, um, <laughs> look at a spreadsheet and and figure out the, a budget or something like that, um, or just like go through my mail, <laughs> you know, those things feel really energy sucking to me. But um, like I was actually uh, really sick about two weeks ago, my son got the flu and then he passed it to me and like everyone else he came in contact with. It was horrible. He like brought the whole family down. And I was recovering and, you know, I was just sitting down at my computer and I was like just making things. I was writing down new book ideas. I was creating posts for Instagram. I was um, writing tweets and other things. Um, I was writing down ideas for for a course that I might be able to do. And my friend was like, what are you doing? I thought you were sick. And I was like, I am. But, you know, like this, this create this creative process this creativity this making things it actually gives me energy yeah, you're oh god there's there's far too many parallels going on here it's hilarious it's like a mirror image of what was going on with me but <laughs> it just you know i, I said i think oh, there's a lot of similarities between all of us creative people no matter what we're making oh i think so i mean i, I wrote my first two fiction books during the early parenthood slash the start of lockdown and it's it was kind of wasn't the plan, but what I found was exactly what you said. Although I was exhausted, I was, at, you know, my emotions were actually quite heightened, as mm-hmm. as as they are because you're on so little sleep and everything else. Yeah, yeah. And and I sort of promised myself that I would return. You know, I I didn't, so I didn't do any commercial work. For, I think it was the first eight weeks. I was lucky enough as a freelancer to be able to dictate that I could take longer mm-hmm. time than uh, a lot of other dads might be able to which was a real blessing. But what I found was that downtime just, you know, my unconscious just started to <laughs> bubble. If the kids had, you know, were napping and Laura was napping or, or we, we had a bit of downtime, I would use even just three, four minutes to pull out the notes app on my phone. And what I found I started doing was writing these really tiny kind of flash fiction stories. And they were mm-hmm, kind of mm-hmm. dirty, very gritty, very snappy, said a lot with a little. And it was just, it just flowed. And I just ran yeah. with it. 
That's so interesting. I mean, yeah, I, I was finishing my book sensitive, um, while I was pregnant and then after I had my kid and, you know, it, it, it happened, the, the writing and research happened over several years, but it, you know, I also happened to be pregnant for a time too. Uh, the timing of that wasn't planned. Um, but yeah, I mean, this is maybe TMI, too much information, but I, when I was nursing my newborn son, I would sit down and I would be writing or typing things out on my computer or ideas that I had. And yeah, it just, it, it gave me energy even throughout that really draining process of having a newborn baby. Mm. And then this is this is interesting because this takes me to a recent conversation with a friend who we we we, we talk we get very deep very quick we've always shared a very emotional deep relationship and he we he talks about you know he's gone through many flips and flops of kind of going right of not working outside of nine five hours anymore because I'm sick of being exhausted and burned out and then I think it was on one of my other podcasts that he heard a conversation about actually isn't it better to give yourself the freedom to create when the energy is good, but actually mm. to, to manage your mental energy and the sensitivity better. So, you know, burnout is not necessarily about the number of hours worked. It's actually about emotional deficit. Mm. Uh, and and it was I that, that. And that, and that's the difference now. So now I won't think twice about taking my bike out for a 20 minute ride in the middle of the afternoon, even when I'm busy, because yeah. I know it's about diligent short bursts of work for me now. And actually I'm finding I'm way more productive when I just manage my, like I said earlier, design my day a little bit better. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I could burn out very quickly if I had to do a couple hours of answering emails <laughs> or looking at my budget spreadsheet, but you know, I could sit and and write and research and read for hours and hours and hours and not feel burned out. Um, I remember when I was finishing my book, I would work for very long hours and you know, I would have to just stop because I felt physical fatigue, like my back was hurting from sitting in the chair or my eyes were hurting from looking at a screen, but my mind was still really going and really engaged. But yeah, I, I, it's funny what, how different types of work can burn me out really fast. And then, you know, other types don't, they give me energy. Me too, actually. And then that reminds me of a recent guest, I guess I had on the show called Ben Mottershead and he runs a design agency. And he talked very candidly about ADHD and how mm. in different jobs in the past, so in one job, there was no real um, empathy towards his his condition. And, and he would he, he was expected to fit a box like everyone else and mm -hmm. it didn't end very well for, for either party. Whereas in companies where he's been freed up to, to, to really find the strengths through his ADHD, he's completely flourished because, you know, he, he sort of laughed about it and said, I believe it. He said, if you want someone who can answer three phone calls, write five emails and, you know, do all this stuff mm -hmm. at the same time, I'm your guy. But if you want me to study for a test for three weeks with one goal in mind, forget it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah, I get that. I get that. And, you know, I think that's just the perfect example of, of putting yourself in an environment where you can play to your strengths. And I think that's what sensitive people need to do, right? Because certain environments are not going to play to our strengths at all. If it's a loud environment, if it's chaotic, if you get no breaks, if it's really emotionally toxic, it's going to be really hard for you to do good work. But if you can put yourself in that healthy environment, you know, it, it it's it may not be you. It it might be your environment. <laughs> you know, you you might just need to change your environment and see how your creativity or your output changes. I find that actually really fascinating. And um, I recently met an autistic friend and, and he challenged and active, actively vetoed his company's decision to move into a workspace that was very much open share. And and, and he said, I, I can't do that. And, that mm -hmm. work. and he's actually, he's quite strong character and he, and he loves to speak up on behalf of the quieter autistic people because where he mm. works at an engineering company, there's a really high percentage of autistic people. And mm. You know, he fought everyone's corner, and they've they've changed that now. He went to the to the top guys and said, "What are you thinking? There are so many autistic people here who need at least a, a modicum of seclusion." And um, yeah. I think that's really really interesting, actually. And I know a lot of people who I've been able to help by just suggesting a subtle change in their environment, whether it is just varying up where they're spending their workday or a different part of an office. And I think it's something that people overlook quite a lot. Yeah, I, I mean, for me, I, I I've worked a lot of different jobs over my life. Um, I worked as a teacher. I worked in an office in marketing. 
I worked as a journalist in a newsroom. And, you know, the, the best fit environment for me has been one where I work from home and I work for myself. And it, you know, it, it has its drawbacks. It can get lonely and isolating sometimes to just be at my house all the time, right? Even though I'm an introverted person, I still need, I still need people and I still need stimulation in my life. But it's amazing because I get to control my own schedule and I get to control the physical environment, you know, the the lights, the sounds, the smells. I can take breaks when I need to. So yeah, I, I I do think there's really something to be said there for the environment that you're working in. I think so. And one of my favorite stories I heard was, you know, Chuck Palahniuk, who wrote Fight Club. Mm-hmm. Um, he talked about how two of his favorite places to write were in airports and hospital emergency rooms. <laughs> because his, <laughs> his writing style is so punchy and frenetic. And, and uh, yeah, yeah. He said, you know, how he soaked up that energy, huh? Yeah, and he said, yeah. oh, I love that. He said, there's in hospital waiting rooms, there's no dominant form of media. So if you really want to observe body language in its purest form, you know, there's no better place. And I love that. It's just, I that's love very, that. That's wow. Very, that's very him and obviously fits right in with his writing. But, but, but isn't that the thing? That's the beautiful thing about creativity is that we all have a very unique form of it. And if mm-hmm. you be at one with that and, and work out those kind of nuances, then you can really flourish. So what's the plan moving forward? Oh boy, uh, for, for my day or for my life? Or... No, yeah, <laughs> that's, for a big, that's a broad question. So that is a broad question for your, uh, for your work insensitivity. Oh, well, um, I, I, I want to keep advocating for sensitive people. I want to keep getting my message out there because I think it can be really life-changing to learn about sensitivity. I think if you felt like you are too sensitive or like the world is too much for you and you know you you might beat yourself up or you might think something is wrong with you but in reality you have a personality trait that about 30% of the population has and it does make you different but it also gives you an advantage and a superpower and like you said it it could be an evolutionary advantage in my book i write about how the human species probably wouldn't have survived without sensitive people. I know that sounds like a very, you know, grandiose thing to say, but sensitive people were the ones who heard a rustling in the bushes that was a tiger, or they were the ones who remembered where food and water could be found and maybe kept their 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 family or their their group alive. And, you know, that's not to say we don't need less sensitive people in the world, too. Of course, we need less sensitive people in the world. Um, we need both types because humans need sensitive people and less sensitive people to survive in different types of environments. So anyway, all that to say, I want to keep advocating for sensitive people. I think if the world was more understanding and accepting of sensitive people, it would help sensitive people themselves. And we would also be able to learn from the lessons that sensitive people have to teach us, the empathy, the creativity, uh, the, the, the details, the emotions, the being in tune with their environment. There are a lot of incredible things that sensitive people have to teach the world if we would let them. Mm. And I think we have to be the change makers as well. You know, it's, uh, yes. uh, it's been, that's been one of the, the ways I've changed my own thinking recently is there's no it's no good me sitting there and getting into these downward spirals because yes why you know you you, yes. you it, it's it's it doesn't con- help anybody it doesn't change anything it doesn't and my wife would tell it me that help often. you exactly my wife would tell me that often and and actually you know one of the one of the best things that i picked up was the grateful flow tool that phil stutz talks about and it's mm. i think it's quite a common mindfulness technique but it's to kind of you know, when you become aware that there's a negative spiral going on, it's to stop, take a moment, and imagine a sequence of things you're grateful for and really envision. Yes. And and yes. and that was a profound change for me because actually, when you start to feel that kind of lift there and then, his whole idea was that in psychotherapy there was too much kind of 
it'll be to do with your childhood and, and leaving it and parking it and leaving it there. And he mm. changed, he was a bit of a pioneer in his field because he wanted to give his patients something to take away there and then to get started with to improve their life on that day. And that's mm. what it did, and that's what it did for me. So to recognize that we have that control over our mind was a yes. shift for me. Um so now I'm more thankful than I've ever been for being sensitive. And so where can people connect with your work, Jen? Uh they can find my book, Sensitive, at any major bookseller. And you can find me on Instagram under my name, Jen Graneman. You can also find my blog, Introvert Dear, D-E-A-R, like you're writing a letter, not like the animal. Uh you know, or introvert deer is on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, all those places. So yeah. Um, yeah. Google my name or Google introvert deer or my book. My audience is primarily artists and designers and illustrators. So I think you're going to, um, going to have a, a great effect with them. So thank you. Awesome. Very much for your time. I really appreciate it. So it's such a nice conversation. I can see it's dark behind you. So yeah, you're, you're, you know, you're, so <laughs> it's nighttime for you. All good. Take me a little time to wind down now. So thank you so much for taking the time to join me for the show today. A big thank you to Jen Granham for taking time out of her busy schedule promoting her awesome work for a highly sensitive refuge and introvert deer and a wonderful book, Sensitive, The Power of a Thoughtful Mind in an Overwhelming World, which is brilliant and must read for any of you guys who are listening today. Really, really great book. Not a cheap plug, just a real genuine recommendation for a book that gave me a wonderful insight into why I am the way I am and, and how to own that and manage it and tackle the downsides you know we all are familiar with those so big thank you and again a big thank you to anyone who's played any part in the show over the last seven years I hope we can go another seven and then some because I've got so many plans for this study of creativity that has become my kind of core pursuit in life I guess it's where the magic is right now for me <laughs> it encapsulates my career as an illustrator my writing and everything else in between so all the relationships it's given me over the last seven years have been really 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 a real a real privilege to have them so thank you if you've played any part in that i hope you enjoy this show look out for part two of this 200th episode i'm going to be talking about creativity what it means to me right now i'm going to be making some big announcements about the kickstarter campaign for the creative condition book um and just about my feelings on creativity at this time in my life so cheers guys thank you very much for listening and thank you to illustration x for supporting have a great week i hope you've enjoyed this one do go check out jen granaman nice one guys see you later